Hey everyone, in this episode of History Unloaded with Danny and Ashley, you're just getting Camila and Ashley because Danny decided to go hunting this morning. It was like very important to him. It was very <laughs> important to him. Well, to be fair, he decided he had to go hunting this morning because he's been going hunting on his own and having no luck. So he's going with someone who knows a little bit more about it so that he maybe has luck. Right, which kind of brings us to the fact that we are going to re-air one of our favorite episodes, exactly. which we, which Ashley and Danny talked about hunting and how Danny and Ashley are both pretty new to it. New um, and also incompetent, yeah. <laughs> well, obviously, <laughs> we're seeing that with Danny now since he had to uh, recruit someone to help him. <laughs> I know, I felt so bad because like, he was like, I can't find anything. And then I'm like, oh... I only go rich people hunting where like I get, I pay a guy to take me. So I have luck every time, <laughs> you know, I just have to be able to, you know, um, hunt adequately, you know, and, and, and get a good shot off um, for the kind of fair chase and, you know, to be as respectful to the animal as possible. Um, but Danny has no mentor. So he's just been kind of like, I can't even like, Camila, can you picture Danny? Like, like like skinny tall lanky Danny just like going off into the wilderness by himself trying to find an animal with an M1 Garand no less yeah it's a it's an interesting picture in my mind for sure yeah I mean like I can't like I, I just cannot imagine it he's, I know he's technically like kind of like his family's from West Virginia and like they lived in like rural areas where people hunted on their property but like Danny does not scream hunter to me so I'm I'm hoping he gets luck today because he's quickly running out of the bull elk that I harvested that I left for him when I moved out of Wyoming. He's quickly running out of that, so he needs to get his own. And he seems really into it. Like, he really wants to, you know, he's like a beginner hunter who really wants to try and really yeah. wants to be good at it, which is, um, I think, you know, good. Um, and more power to him because, like I said, you know, I've been fortunate that most of my hunts have been um, – industry related hunts so you're going with a group of people that know how to hunt and you're going with and it's you know sponsored by blah 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 you know and so i've been really fortunate that i've had people around me to be able to help me out um i think that's might have something to do with the fact that like you know i'm a girl and stuff um well, you know and that danny like nobody's no one's offering to take danny on free hunts well someone has finally offered to help him so at least yes. that yeah yeah. So, um, yeah, so I just, we, I thought we'd try this whole thing where we talked for a few minutes about the episode and what we're doing and why we're, why we like the episode. And I guess personally, I thought this was one of the better episodes, Camila, and you can like, Camila gets really bored every time Danny and I talk and every, sometimes every like, single time. <laughs> exactly. And I thought this one was good because I thought it actually, instead of us just like, you know, waxing prophetically on like the knowledge that we have about firearms, like it felt like it was an episode where Danny and I actually like were ourselves and like let people know that we're not perfect at everything. I mean, I yeah, definitely. Really because I think, I don't know my, at least my perception is like, if you're into firearms then you'd be into hunting. Cause for me, that's a huge um, way that you, that you use firearms, right? Yeah. That's, that's a important part of like, the Western culture in America is to be able to hunt. So it was actually kind of surprising for me to find out that both of y'all are new to hunting. Cause I would have kind of just expected you're into firearms. So yeah. you would be into hunting. Well, and that was part of what the episode, you know, was about was the fact that it's not easy to get into it if you don't have someone there for you. And what I've noticed culturally speaking, which I think is really interesting. So like 
there are people who are into hunting um, and it's this really diverse group of people. So you get your people who grew up hunting, you know, grew up with families that hunt, which is the easiest way to get into, get into it. But what I find interesting is that, you know, just because you're into hunting doesn't mean you're into firearms for self-defense um, and carry. And so there's this big drama that I watched happen during the election where like there were, you know, hunters for Biden um, and that there's groups of people who are really inter interested in, you know, harvesting animals, knowing where your food comes from. Um, they almost like are like hunter hipsters, um, but they're not necessarily into like the big two-way culture. Um, they're not, they don't carry for self-defense. And so it's interesting to me that you really can get, just because you're into firearms doesn't mean you hunt. And just because you're a hunter doesn't mean you're into the like two-way culture. And I always, I, I find that to be really fascinating. And I think it needs to be pointed out more. I mean, I know a lot of people really strongly disagree with people who are hunters who are into two-way culture, but it doesn't make, just because you don't agree with them doesn't make them disappear. And it's right. a, fascinating thing of like looking at all the different types of people that would get into hunting a lot of my friends for example who are vegan and vegetarian like my friend jackie she's a vegetarian although i think she eats some meat now. she'll eat occasionally but, i've seen her eat a bite yeah. of meat <laughs> so because jackie is a vegetarian because she does not want all the hormones that you get in factory farming and all that stuff. You know, it's not necessarily about the animal per, you know, it's about the animal and, and, and it's not, it's about the health of the meat that she's putting in her body. And so she spent like some time, you know, cooking at a hunting camp, you know, and she was good friends with people that would, you know, that had chickens that they would then, you know, kill the chickens and stuff. And she respected hunters, even though she, you know, didn't want to be one. And the same goes for a couple of my friends who are vegan, you know, they, have a massive respect for for people who hunt and then repurpose the animal and all of that stuff and i think that that's i think people would find that to be oh it's contradictory i guess in and of the name of being vegetarian or vegan right but, but it doesn't when i like in the people that i know that do it i don't think it's that big of a stretch no and i also think just providing food for your family on your table has become a very um popular thing now that and I don't know I think it's become more popular but I mean I feel as at least as I was growing up I feel like hunting was very like oh I for the record uh grew up on the east coast in New York City so obviously I, was gonna say. <laughs> I know like wasn't exposed to this culture at all but like also but you know the culture was just like oh you know I don't know people really only trophy hunt like it was never something that like I realized that people could actually like hunt um and then harvest the animal and have the meat for themselves and for their table which yeah. i think is a super cool thing um my husband hunts and so we have like deer in the fridge and everything and it's really nice to have because you're not wasting money on that meat and to the point of like jackie your friend who's a vegetarian you don't you don't you never know what is put into your food yeah I mean, it's so true. And, you know, it's also like the one thing that I get bummed out about is not only is hunting hard to get into, it's also rel relatively expensive. And the concept, you know, for why we hunted was because it was relatively inexpensive initially. Um, and now it feels like it's, you know, overwhelmingly expensive and time consuming to get into. Well, why is it expensive now? I mean, like if you, yeah, why do you think? Um, it's well, I mean, I guess like maybe I'm like, <laughs> I'm your perfect. type of hunting yeah maybe well yes my type of hunting is like don't even you know 
Um, if you, you know, it's, it's, I'm very fortunate that because of my role in the industry, I tend to get invited to, to do these things. Um, because I could never afford it, you know, the other ways, but you know, if you think about it and, and you know, maybe there are some hunters out there that listen to the podcast are like, no, I can do it on the cheap, but like, you know, you have to have the firearm and like my husband being a, a professional athlete, uh, professional shooter, professional hunter, um, you know, there's a different gun for every type of hunt and and back like when you only had the long rifle you know it was your multi-purpose gun for hunting but you know you've got different guns for different hunts you've got different calibers for different hunts um you know so then you all of a sudden you've got to buy all the guns and gear um you know and then you've got the camo which is expensive although not everyone i know a lot of people i know that hunt don't really wear a lot of camo um except for the fact that i wear cryptic and i love cryptic uh, I write for the Cryptek blog. Here's my little plug. Um, but, you know, if you want to get the camo and then you need to get the, you know, the gear and then you have to be able to afford the hunting license. And, you know, if you are like, like Danny's a great example, you know, Danny doesn't have a ton of money, you know, to spend on it. So he has to kind of go out on his own for the most part or find a friend that knows what they're doing because to bring a guide, you know, that's money. Um, and then because of the Pittman-Robertson Act, um, you know, a lot of people don't realize that hunters are the people paying the money that goes to the wildlife uh, biology research that then, you know, goes to the preservation of animals. Um, and so there's taxes on our firearms and ammunition and on the fees that go into it so that we can, you know, contribute to something just to be told that we suck. Uh, honestly, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, and so that bums me out that it, it, you know, as something that I perceive historically as starting as the way that you can feed your family in a cost-effective manner, because once you do harvest that animal, you know, like I went on my elk hunt two years ago and Danny is still eating the meat from my elk hunt and I cooked for his wedding with all yeah. that food and there's still food. So there's, you know, once you get that animal, you know, it really does pay off in value of not having to buy meat from the grocery store, but you know, but you have to get there first. And right. I'm sure that there's people that can get there, you know, on a cost effective manner. But if you're not from the sport and you're really starting from square one, it's time consuming and it's expensive. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think it's, it's, um, the thing that you brought up, I think a lot of people don't realize is that, um, wild game or wildlife, um, research, wildlife management is all funded by hunters. Yeah. Well, and, and that was, um, there's an Adam ruins everything that I think is really interesting about quote unquote trophy hunting in Africa, um, about the fact that like, you know, it's, it's, you have to kill animals to save animals. Um, and explains the concept behind quote unquote trophy hunting. Um, and it's actually really good community. So totally watch it. Okay. Um, it, it's fascinating because the, we, it, one of the points is that, you don't have to like the hunter and the hunter doesn't have to consciously be aware of what they, you know, that what they're doing financially gives back to a greater purpose. Um, you know, what they kind of point out is like, you could have a douchebag bro, you know, come and want to kill a giant elephant, but you know, so it's not about that person necessarily knowing and being aware, but their money goes to a good cause. Um, and I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are lots of hunters that are like that, but for, to be honest, most hunters that I know are very, very well versed in wildlife conservation. Um, 
And so they do tend to know about it. But the that was the other thing I wanted to point out was the term trophy hunting, I think, is in and of itself very misleading because I grew up in Pittsburgh, so there was a lot of hunting. And I hear it from hunters themselves. Oh, well, I hunt for to repurpose the animal. I'm not a trophy hunter. And so even some hunters hate trophy hunters. Um, but there is a is a there is a reason why trophy hunting exists that also helps for wildlife conservation, which is the concept that um, usually the animal that you are pursuing, uh, unless you really are just trying to go for meat, um, this usually is not the greatest meat. My husband's elks are a great example of that, but we still eat them, um, is that a lot of times for conservation purposes, you want to hunt the oldest, you know, biggest, baddest, you know, animal out there because that animal is, you know, you know, past its prime. And so what happens a lot of the time, actually the Adam ruins everything. They're like, you know, we have a whatever year old, you know, rhinoceros who's a real asshole. You know, if you could please hunt that one. Um, and because what happens is that those older, you know, animals go past their prime, but they're the biggest, strongest, meanest ones out there. So they prevent young um, young bucks from, um, you know, breeding and continuing to have a healthy population of animals. And so a lot of times you do take out the older one and you don't cut down the younger ones in their prime. Um, and so that's where the, con I mean, I, I'm not a historian of trophy hunting, so I, maybe it started off for not that reason, but, um, you know, there is a practical reason for why hunters go after the biggest, you know, rack um, on an animal and that's because they also happen to be the older animal that need you know that it's their time you know to let the younger people the younger animals through um and so you know trophy hunters get a really bad rap because of that because oh they want you know whatever 250 point sci i don't even know it <laughs> but like you know i know the sci gold or whatever you know like i don't know things that people want you know and they want to achieve that but even again it comes back to even if the hunter doesn't know that you know that they, they even if the hunter just wants the trophy you know they are still doing a service to the population of animals by you know taking out the older ones who are just grumpy and old and want to fornicate with all the ladies you know but they're not the animal that should be anymore and so it's fascinating to me as someone who like, like i remember telling my husband well i just don't like trophy hunting you know when i first you know moved from the east coast and he was like you just don't understand it at all and i you know, and I was like, how dare you? You know, I know what I know. And then as I've become, you know, as I've gotten more and more into hunting, I understand that there's a lot more to the concept of trophy hunting other than I want this pretty animal for my wall. And I, I almost wonder if there's like a different name that we can call it. So it's not about the trophy on the wall and it's about, um, you know, wildlife conservation in and of itself. And then too, with, trophy hunting, quote unquote, and like the trophy, you know, they call it trophy photography, which is very controversial. Um, and the hat on the wall is, I've at least encountered, been fortunate to encounter hunters who have an immense respect for animals. Like Mark has the most respect for an animal and he has like a very quiet moment after he, you know, harvests an animal. It's almost spiritual. And, you know, the photo is not like, haha, I killed this animal, but it's like, I've spent five days out in the freaking wilderness trying to find you know trying to hunt this animal and it's like a memory mm. you know rather than showing off and, the, and i think to some hunters the trophy on the wall is that memory as well um you know yeah. yeah so i just think it's interesting to me because as you know danny and i will talk about in this episode 
you know, we really didn't know anything about hunting, you know, coming into it just because it wasn't something that was a part of our culture growing up. And then, you know, as we learn more and become more adept at it and become more in the world, we just, you know, find that there's just such misinformation out there um, on hunters and wildlife conservation that I wish, I don't know how to get the message out there to, to a more mainstream audience because most people just don't want to hear it. Yeah. Well, with that, I think that's a perfect um, segue. transition, segue to the episode and we hope you all enjoy it again. And we hope Danny is successful today and was worth blowing us off. Yes, we really <laughs> hope so. All right, enjoy. Bye. Hey everyone, in this episode of History Unloaded with Danny and Ashley, we are going to talk about how difficult it is to get involved in hunting as an adult and how confusing it is. Yeah, so this one, I don't know, I don't, I'm not sure where this one's going to go, but Ashley and, I, Ashley and I both got involved in hunting really as adults. I was around it as a kid, but I never really went. I was from Western Pennsylvania, so like in theory, I should have been around it. Yeah, and like people would like hunt on our property and they would like give us venison and stuff. So I benefited from hunting as a kid, but I never did it myself. Um, and then, yeah, being out here, I think. I had been talking about getting like going hunting and then you were going on a hunt, an elk hunt in New Mexico. So we both like needed to get hunter safety at the same time. So we took the class together and all that stuff. And so we have like this sort of parallel arc of joining hunting as adults, which is awesome. Yes. And you know, and, and it's one of those things I've been to like multiple summits and forums about the, the gun industry. Um, you know, and I've also been to you know, the professional outdoor media associations meetings. And it's really interesting because they always talk about, you know, the decline in hunting that's been going on over the past, you know, five, 10 years. Um, but then they also talk about, you know, getting in, getting new hunters, uh, retention of old hunters. And then there's some other, word they use about like if you were a hunter and then you stopped getting back into it and it was always fascinating to me because I always wanted to learn how to hunt but it's really hard to get involved in when you are not like when you don't grow up around it and you know you're an adult and you need to find someone that's going to take you I mean there's so much gear that you need like zones that you need to know about you know the in the hunter ed course is helpful but like you know, you really need like a, like a mentor to really get you into hunting. It's not like, oh, I would like to go bowling today. I'm going to go and figure out how to bowl. Or, you know, I really like playing Frisbee. Like, I'm going to go join this Frisbee golf team. Like, you know, there really is this really difficult way to like get into the world. Um, and so like for years as curator of the Cody Firearms Museum, I'd never been on a hunt. And I would do radio interview after radio interview where people would be like, oh man, I'm going to come up and I'm going to take you hunting. And I was literally like, please, <laughs> please do that. And nobody, you know, ever did that. And then one day at a, you know, at a banquet, my husband, Mark. Today we bought... are going to be learning about some things that make Wyoming special. <laughs> Hi, my name is Charlotte. Cl what, what was that? that? <laughs> Can you guys hear that? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was like what my nightmares are made of. Like what? <laughs> I'm working on the kids podcast. I was a kid. That was like 
horrifying. That was was not a child. That was a nightmare. Real future in horror movies. (laughs) Okay, fine. I can't work on it because you guys can hear everything. (laughs) Never mind. I was like, does anyone else hear that? (laughs) And I was like, who has a kid? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, go on. I don't remember what you're talking about. Okay. So is there a way you can leave that in or does that like get us in trouble? No, I think we can leave that in probably. That was really funny. (laughs) Damn it. I I need to be working. I have so much stuff to do and you guys can hear it. (laughs) I'm still just like, I need a moment. Like, (laughs) Anyways. So, you know, like for, for years, like all these people on the radio would be like, you know, we're going to take you hunting. We're going to take you hunting. And I really wanted to learn. Like, it wasn't like I was anti-hunting. Like I was like, somebody take me, you know? And so it was my husband bought um, us at a silent auction, uh, a black buck hunt in Argentina. And I was like, I'm going to go hunting in Argentina. I've never been hunting. Just a a little interruption right here. Uh, Ashley went the fancy route for hunting and I did not. (laughs) Yes, I am that bitch. Okay. (laughs) Um, So yes, we went. And then right before we went black buck hunting, um, a friend of ours called and was like, hey, uh, my friend owns a property up in Cordoba. Do you want to go dove hunting in April of whatever year it was? And we were like, we're already going to be in Argentina at the same time. So you know how people are just kind already there that happens to everybody we can all relate totally <laughs> yep um like i was like, too afraid to say that my first hunt was like in argentina because i felt like it was going to make me sound like one of those people <laughs> um, so yeah so instead of just going black buck hunting i was also doing dove hunting and here's where i'm going to talk about why it's also difficult to want to hunt or continue oh, okay when you're a when you're a new hunter, so like we talked, we just mentioned the fact that it's so difficult to get involved if you don't know somebody that can kind of show you your sensei, you know, to show you the way. But here's something I'm gonna bitch about, and people can you know get me for whatever. But like every hunt I have been on, I have heard the words, "Oh yeah, no, you'll have no trouble. It's so easy." <laughs> Like every hunt, okay? So doves. There are so many doves. Like, don't even worry. It's so easy. It's just whatever, you know? And then like hog hunting, you know? Oh yeah, no worries. You're going to kill so many hogs on that hunt. Like it's not, it's not hard. Well, let me like fast forward to going on my dove hunt. It was an unfortunate dove hunt where we went at the wrong time of the year with a not great like group of people. Well, the group I went with, but the people that owned the ranch were not great. And so the first dove I shot was at like 40 yards. And those suckers are fast. Okay? Nobody told me that. And so like it wasn't like a sky full of doves. It was like you actually had to like know how to shoot dove. And I'm like, this is so hard. And my husband looks at me and goes, well, yeah, it's hard. Doves are fast. And I was like... Oh, yeah? Are they? Like, (laughs) 
nobody felt like before I left, it was all here, fine, you know, whatever. So then like, let's also talk about hog hunting where my husband's like, or no, not my husband, but like all these people are like, no worries. It's so easy, you know, and we do um, javelina hunting when we go on our hog hunt in Texas as well. And javelinas, you know, are not as difficult. Um, because they don't hear as well or see as well. I can't remember which one, but it's, you know, I've been able to hunt javelina successfully for years and, you know, I never see hogs. Like I go on my hog hunt every year and I like virtually never see hogs. The first hog I shot was under nods and like, they were like, okay, so you're going to take a shot at that thing. And they like describing the hog. And I'm like, you mean the little dot? And they were like, yeah, the little dot, shoot that, you know? So like, it's incredibly hard and hogs have like this almost armor to them. And so one, you know, actually dropping, you know, a hog is really difficult. And two, their senses are way better than javelina. And I have been on a hog hunt for three or four years now. And just this year, my husband told me that the gun he like hooked me up with is really not great for hog hunting. <laughs> like, He's like, oh, yeah, no, like, we're not getting shots off at, like, because, like, my gun was set, set up to, you know, out to 200 yards, I think, and all the hogs that we were encountering were way further than that, and he goes, oh, yeah, no, we'll get you with a scope next year that can, you know, range out to 400 yards or whatever, and I'm just like, so, like, I've just been set up for failure for the past four years thinking it was me, you know, and so it's like, so it's this, like, it's very frustrating because it's almost like the bravado that comes and maybe you haven't experienced this as much because you've gone on kind of like your own hunts where I go on these guided hunts, you know, with groups of people from the gun industry and everyone tells me how easy it is. And then I get there and I do really well and I practice and I prepare and all that stuff, but it's not as easy as they say it is. And then I feel like I'm a failure. And then I'm like crying in my bunk at night because I, yeah, I am because I'm a adult and I'm just like bummed out because I feel like I can't do it and then I'm not you know it gets so easy for everybody else and then like Mark also pointed out to me that this hunt we go on sorry if you listen <laughs> from this hunt that like 70% of the people that are talking around the like hunting camp are lying so like <laughs> so he's like oh no it wasn't Mark that pointed it out to me I finally got a good guide that takes us out and he just like oh no Ashley like I've taken most of these people out. They're not very good. Like, they're <laughs> lying. And he goes, he goes, they lie right in front of me. You know, so it's like, you know, it's hard to get into the sport. And then if you're doing it like in a group setting, you know, the, the bravado of the storytelling, you know, like people always ask me and I tell the truth. And then they're all like, oh, she's not very good. And Mark's like, no, you're actually a really good shot. So that lying part of it makes it very difficult for someone like me who's self-conscious to want to stay in the sport. Yeah. And I actually, well, now I'm thinking we also need to do an episode about like getting into collecting period, because I think there's a lot of parallels because my experience <laughs> I just of getting talked in, for like 10 minutes. Yeah. This is the Ashley episode and that's fine. She's more interesting anyways. Um, but I found a lot of parallels to getting into hunting, to getting into collecting. And I actually think getting into collecting is easier. Um, one, like the availability of just the basic like hunter ed's hunter ed class like we had to take off of like work and drive down to casper on like a random day of the week and because they're just, like all the courses were set up for um basically the schedules of like kids in school like they were all set up for that yes it was a class that danny and i participated with 60 percent children 
Yeah, and and yeah, and then we went to that class, and it, these were like the kids that elected to do the two day version instead of the five day version, and us, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we was, should also point it out, point out that they kind of lied too. Yeah, and then they like the expectations given for like the 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 exams and stuff were really high, like stated to be really high, and then the they test- literally said you take a test when you get there, and if you fail the test, you have to leave. Right? Yeah, like it's, you people. have to take an entrance test to even be allowed into the course because we were doing like the online study, and then you go and do like the day course, and like and then you take your test and get your certificate. It's like all right, you have to show that you learn the material before we'll let you do the remainder of the course. Danny and, and so I we're practiced like, the entire four hour drive down to Casper. It was awful. <laughs> we like didn't we, talk about anything interesting. We just like read hunting facts to each other. Yeah. And we get there and like, it turns out to not be anything like what was advertised and the schedule was weird. So there's that whole business. I actually think too, we added an additional layer of difficulty into our journey into hunting because we both did it in places that we're not from. So like we both came yeah. out to Wyoming and learned. I think if I had taken this where I grew up in Maryland and like had been checked off as like a hunter safety, like I would have had places that then I would have been familiar with where I could go and feel comfortable. Like I, I can't go out. Girl, I would not have been able to do that. So there would have been places for me back home where I would have felt comfortable and I would have had a bigger network of people to ask to go, to go with me. But out here, like, I don't feel comfortable hiking out and getting eaten by a grizzly by my own. Like, that's just a little bit of a snack for him. I at least need to take somebody else so he gets full. Right. Like, you don't feel comfortable because of a grizzly. That's why. I mean, hunting in grizzly bear territory is pretty, I think, serious business. Maybe it is serious business. I agree. It's just very interesting, Danny. But there are people that uh, I think we we missed over (laughs) the fact that Danny caught himself a little bit of a snack. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Very good. I'm Sorry, just saying, I had to point I'm that not out. A, there's not a lot of meat for a grizzly here, is all I'm saying. You're like you're Zach Woods, <laughs> wasting <laughs> disease or whatever it is. Yes, exactly like that. Um, and But there are people that it's pretty intimidating. There are people that like go out on their own out here and are super comfortable with it, and I'm not there at all. So I'd have to ask people to like go with me that, like to try and show me the ropes. Cause I didn't bother my brother. Like he was hunting when I was growing up. He, I could have learned from him, but I, I wouldn't wanted to sleep in back then. Um, <laughs> and so you go out here and there's this other level. There's like the bravado that you talked about. Um, but there's also this level of like, you have to get someone that's willing to show you the ropes. And this is where I draw a sort of similarity to collecting. Like it's really useful when you get into collecting to get people to show you the ropes. But a lot of people that already have the knowledge you want are a little bit standoffish. Like they have their like sweet hunting spots that they don't want to give up or let people in on. And like collectors have that same sort of mentality. Like I have a system about how I go about collecting and finding good deals and that kind of thing. And they're, they're reluctant to sort of, impart that knowledge or pass that knowledge on. And I think that creates a sort of a, that creates a barrier too. Um, and I've been fortunate to have some people I could ask around here that were really helpful and showing me some of the ropes, but I'm still not where anywhere near where I feel like comfortable, like just walking out and public land and trying to shoot a deer. Yeah. The other thing that I also find difficult, um, or that like now that I become a hunter, one thing that like, I I really didn't understand a lot of traditions of hunters until I did it. 
you know, and so I think there's this really big difficulty um, in people understanding, you know, why people hunt and the motivations behind it that aren't, you know, the big wildlife conservation motivations, but, you know, the actual experience of hunting, you know, I found to be, I find to this day still to be a very somber, you know, experience. There's the, you know, there's the fair chase and there's the hunt, but, you know, when you actually take the life of an animal, I mean, I tear up you know, it's, it's, it's a very sad thing for me every time, you know, you're, you know, you're proud that you were able to do it, but it's this, it's this emotional experience that I never could have quite understood. I think when you come from outside the world of hunters, you think that like, there's this like bloodlust that people have. I mean, isn't that what all the anti-hunters say? You right, know, they're, yeah. like, they're like thrilled that they did it. And I remember, you know, when I first, um, you know, hunted the black buck, um, you know, I was really sad and I looked at Mark and I was like, like, I, you know, I didn't expect to feel all the emotions that I felt. And Mark was like, yeah, it's incredibly sad. And my husband is, you know, hunted all over the world. And he's like, it's always sad. And my husband always takes a very, you know, quiet moment with the animal after, you know, after the hunt. And it's, you know, there, there's this uh, element where you just don't get it until you're in it kind of mm -hmm. thing that I think is, it's so powerful. And I wish, you know, even if you didn't want to be a hunter or hunt for food or whatever, you know, I feel like I wish people could see it and experience it because it does change your perspective of hunters significantly when you strip away the bravado and the hunting cabin stories and the photography and, you know, all the outward things that people that aren't involved in the, in the culture, you know, see, and they actually, you know, go with you and see how, you know, what happens. I think it changes people's perspective on it, you know, significantly. I know it changes mine you know and I wasn't anti-hunting by any stretch of the imagination but I certainly didn't understand you know a lot of the reasons why people do certain things when they're hunting and you know I wish more people could experience that power um, and that connection with nature because it is something that often gets lost yeah and to that I mean there's and we've only talked about like really getting to go on the hunt like we haven't talked about like I had to figure out how to process an animal and like have somebody help me do that. And like, like, what am I going to do? Like where I got a pretty small antelope, so I didn't have a lot to store it, but like there's all these, every step of the way, there's a, a lot of barriers. I don't want to add up how much money I've spent on this in just like two years because I'm sure I would not be happy with myself. Oh yeah. Well, a, and I, it's a I had an cost. easier time in, in this respect than you because I had a husband that's been a, you know, professional hunter basically you know for years so he kind of sets me up with everything that i need i mean the first time i went out i had like a new rifle and a new pack which is a barrier but not terrible one and like i didn't really have like i didn't have new like hunting gear or like climate whatever under armors new whatever the latest and greatest you know multi-layer gear was or anything like that i was like i literally i was like all right this time out i can budget enough to get myself a pack and a decent rifle and optic and we'll add to it later but then there's been a lot of adding later and yeah it adds up yeah that's it we're done <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just uh, the barriers are bravado protected knowledge and cost
cost. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's so much more than that too. I mean, you mentioned the processing of meat. So I've paid a butcher every time, but that's incredibly expensive. And I've just now gotten into, you know, dressing the animal in the field all, you know, by myself. And I went on a hunt where it was, it was, it was a wedding present to me. And, you know, the, the guides do all that work and I insisted on doing it myself and they thought that was very weird. But, um, well, and then I ran into that problem. Like, this is just a, a story. This is, you know, we had the story about us driving to, to, all the way to Casper just to get Hunter's safety checked off. But then, um, like, thinking about getting through the hunt, and I got my first antelope out here in Wyoming. And that was, a, like, I was really proud to have done that. And, like, I had somebody help me out with that. And it was really great. It actually, that one did turn out to be really easy. Like, we didn't have to go that far to get it and stuff. So, sorry about your difficult experience. Fine. Now the hard experience I've had is like trying to get an elk. I haven't been successful. Um, yeah, I've I've harvested a bull. But Ashley has harvested an elk. I haven't yet. But um, then I had an antelope, and like I talked to people about what to do with it once I got it beforehand, and they're like, "Oh yeah, there's a, there's a processor here in town. There's one. You know, there's another one over here. And like, who do you take your stuff to?" And then I was like, "All right, that sounds like simple enough. Like I'm willing to pay a butcher to do it." And then I had an antelope, and then all of a sudden, like nobody in town would take it to process. And I was like, uh, I have an apartment and nowhere to store an antelope. Like oh, what yes. in the world do I do? So the best part is where does he go? <laughs> to Ashley's house. <laughs> Ashley's house. So I bought a freezer for my elk because um, the meat was getting shipped to me. And the greatest part of this is that Danny, you know, he used my freezer but like didn't he didn't put the like quarters and everything in the sleeves yet and like um needed to put them in my freezer so we're sitting i live in town and we are standing in the driveway putting animal limbs into a bag and the worst is the antelope head the giant head i mean it was like something out of like a sopranos like episode i mean it was and we're just like together trying to <laughs> trying to put these like quarters into like little you know the 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 bags so that we can put them in my freezer before they got processed and everything but and then that was the problem too cuz now looking back on it i wish i had um kept the head and like had it mounted or like at least on like a european mount or something but the problem was like i was out of options of places to take it to in town and so like i eventually got the I got the, like the quarters processed, um, was like, basically I ended up just going to a friend who I knew would process his own, uh, animals that he harvested. And like, he showed me like cutting it up and doing the different cuts and all that stuff. But again, I've only done that once. So I just don't feel comfortable doing it yet on my own. Um, but then I still had the, like a leftover head and no one to process it into amount that I would want. And like, I don't trust myself to do anything like that. And I ended up giving it to the Raptor program because the birds would eat it here. Um, and now I don't have that, like, I don't have really anything from that hunt, which I kind of regret. But I'm also, like, happy that it went to feed, like, the center's yeah. animals. Like, that, I think, is cool in its own way. But, yeah, it was, like, a total disaster of, like, okay, great. I got an antelope. Like, what do what I now? do with it now? Yeah. And, like, every plan that I came up with fell apart. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, so there's, you know, the, the pre-hunt difficulties, the actual hunt difficulties, and then there's the post-hunt difficulties. I mean, so, uh, you know, it is really, I mean, it's just hard to get involved in. So I mean, and I, we're both pretty like highly motivated people to do this. Like, 
I really wanted to do it because like this was, I decided that going on like an elk hunt in Wyoming would be like, as long as I'm in Wyoming, this is something I need to do to like try and experience Wyoming. Yeah. And like, and this became something for both of us that I think would put at us at an above average motivation level. And I could see how a lot, like there would be a lot of attrition for potential hunters at all those steps along the way. And I think that's oh, where yeah. the field runs into this declining hunting population problem. So I guess like last question would be, you know, do you have any thoughts on how you make it more accessible? I don't know. Cause there is, I think I wish there was like a program. I don't even know. Cause you know, I'm sure like the state game and fish departments are there at their limit for funding and stuff like that and personnel. Um, but like a more accessible, like new hunter program where that's, not just catered for uh, kids. Obviously, like a lot of kids getting into the sport from parents teaching them or because their families have done it, like that's a big part of how new hunters join. So we don't want to like get rid of that. But yeah, um, as an adult hunter, there was just like, at least maybe this is my own lack of ability to find these things, but there was like no programs other than like me informally asking around until I found somebody that was willing to go out with me. So um, it sounds like my dating life. <laughs> but you're married now, so it's fine. Yeah, I'm married now, so it worked. And yeah. I hunted now, so I guess both of them turned out eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is one of those things that, you know, I would actually kind of put it back to some of the people listening to the podcast, because I'm sure that, like, people listening to the podcast are probably hunters. If you know of ways, like, programs in your community on how to get involved to help people get, you know, active. If there's ways where like, if you don't have a ton of money, but you really need, you know, the meat would be, you know, super helpful to your family. You know, are there, you know, ways to get, you know, cost-effective firearms, you know, are there ways to kind of help people out so that it's not such an, you know, costly endeavor? You know, if there, if you know of any of these ways to help people get involved, like, you know, send us an email or something because we totally, you know, share it out and right. help people along the way. But and I'd say the biggest step is like, it's coming up with, cause I could follow the steps pretty well. Like I could read like, all right, here's the, what I got to do for hunter safety. All right. Here's the areas where I'm allowed to like venture out into and in the public lands and stuff like that. But I think at each point along the way, it would have been really nice to have somebody to like check with like, Hey, I think I'm doing this right. But am I really like, and I yeah. did like that step made me really unsure at a lot of points along the way. So that to me was, that was another, I think that's what I would wish for that I had that, that whole time. But yeah. So and who knows, maybe everybody's listening to be like, no, you guys are losers and it is really easy. Um, so, and, that, and maybe we're just too city slicker. We're too, yeah, we're too but I'm not like, I grew up in a rural area. Like, I feel like this should not have been that <laughs> countercultural to me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you know of any way, you know, suggestions for how and how we can educate people, you know, with through the museum, it's not, you know, about politics. It's just about if you want, it's about education. So, you know, we're happy to, you know, take suggestions. And uh, this has been a completely ahistorical podcast brought to you by History Unloaded. See ya. All right. I got to go.